0: here grateful we can worship God together Lee's already mentioned the the fact that our house lights are a little bit lower today so uh, if you're sitting somewhere where it's a little difficult to see we apologize for that somebody said to me uh, as we were kind of getting started they said uh, well you know with these house lights down uh, people are probably going to fall asleep in your sermon you know I said no more than usual okay so (laughs) it's kind of the way it goes Now hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, it It is fall and it's a busy time. Lane just shared with us a lot of things that are happening around here, a lot to be praying about, so uh, please join us as, as we're just praying about the opportunities God's put in front of us. I have to say thank you to Lane for preaching last week and kind of sharing in this uh, this message series about discipleship. You'll find out as uh, as Lane continues to kind of settle in here in his ministry and, and alongside his family, you'll find out Lane has a lot of gifts uh, to the kingdom, and I'm grateful that he'll be able to use those here uh, as a part of our uh, ministry team and part of our church family, so uh, so I appreciate uh, Lane doing that uh, I also just as, as we kind of think about and rejoice and give thanks for the things that have uh, that have, that have happened here in the last few weeks, we continue to hear uh, some really encouraging things about the um, the love your neighbor bags that were distributed a couple of weeks ago. I had a, a couple of um, pictures taken from from people who are, are seeing those bags out. Uh, throughout town, you know, uh, and, and how those have been distributed, and so thank you for, for participating in that. I got an email from one of our members uh, earlier in the week, and uh, he was around the, the Ardmore exit right there at the Tennessee State Line. And he looked over to the side and saw uh, saw a person carrying that bag, and I thought, okay, wow, that you know, these, these bags are being distributed out uh, everywhere, so we're just giving thanks for that, and also uh, praying for that work. So again, if you'll join us in in praying that God's name would be glorified, that the kingdom would expand through things like that, uh, Lane reminded us next week we have a great opportunity on this campus with Autumn Fest, and so a lot of things will be happening here. Uh, if you can help us out with that, uh, we would love to have your help uh, with that as well. Uh, we've been talking about discipleship. And uh, looking at what the scriptures have to say about that for quite some time now, uh, we've been going through this series now for several weeks as we've been thinking about what it means to, uh, to follow Jesus, what it means to, to know him and to place our trust in him. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the mission that Jesus gave us, this mission to to be disciples, to make disciples, and then I, I would add this too, to, to make disciples who in turn make disciples. You know, that's really at the at the heart of what Jesus says to his followers just before he, he leaves, after, at the end of his earthly ministry on the other side of the resurrection. That's at the heart of what Jesus had to say. Lane already referenced this, but, but today I want us to return to the passage of Scripture we looked at in the very first message in this series. It's in Matthew's gospel. It's at the end of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 28. I want us to, to look at this again today and, uh, and think about some aspects of what Jesus has to say to us. If you want to get your Bibles there to Matthew 28, feel free to. Uh, we'll have the scriptures here on the screen for you as well. This is God's word. God's word says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. You find that interesting? <laughs> this is the resurrected, this is the risen Christ. He's on the other side of it is finished, on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the empty tomb, and yet still there's, there's some doubt with some. But Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, this is the word of God. So we know this is the mission that Jesus left us. Um, Around here, we've been talking about that now for quite some time. We just want to revisit this again because it's been a few weeks since we've looked at this specific text, this specific passage. This is the mission of Jesus. Okay, last words before the uh, ascension. In Luke's gospel, you get this at the end of uh, the gospel that he writes, but also in, in Acts chapter 1. And so we find Jesus, just before that, that earthly ministry draws to a, a conclusion, He's he's teaching his disciples, he's giving them this mission to go out and to make disciples. But Jesus doesn't leave us a mission that he himself isn't committed to. I find it really interesting that Jesus tells us to do this because this is the kind of thing that Jesus himself was about. Jesus was always seeking to make disciples. In fact, as you look through and read through the Gospels, just pick any one of them. Everywhere he goes, Jesus is focused on drawing people to him. He is focused on making disciples. He spends so much time with these 11 the, the 12 before this, you know, he spends so much time with that small group, but those aren't the only people that Jesus was discipling. As you read through the scriptures, there are all, at any given moment, there might be a small group around Jesus, and he's, he's pouring into them and giving them a little bit of the extracurricular, you know, understanding of his teaching. But then you go to the next the next passage, and you'll find him standing on a, on a mountaintop. You'll find him uh, speaking to large crowds. You'll find people coming out in droves, bringing their sick, bringing their own infirmities, seeking healing. You'll find hungry people just flocking to Jesus. You'll find people who are on the margins of society who are coming to Jesus. You find the religious and the irreligious. You find, you know, Pharisees and you find tax collectors and all these people are coming to Jesus and in every context he is interested In making disciples. Uh, Two authors that I've been reading through lately, uh, Bobby Harrington and Alex Absalom, they, they look at the ministry of Jesus and they talk about these five contexts for discipleship. They draw on some work that a sociologist did in the 60s, and this sociologist found some areas where it seems as if community and connection really seemed to form. But, but Harrington and Absalom aren't really interested in the sociological aspects of this. They're interested in, does that match what we see on the pages of the scriptures? And so what's really fascinating is they look at the ministry of Jesus, and they point out these five areas, these five contexts where Jesus is focused on discipleship where he's focused on disciple making okay and I want to share these with you today in a in a diagram form because I I find it to be really helpful in demonstrating the degree to which Jesus was willing to go to make disciples but I think it also gives us a good way to think about our call and our ministry as well to make disciples across these contexts so here's here's this diagram and I hope you can see that Again, uh, this comes from uh, Harrington and Absalom. And they point out these, these five contexts of discipleship with this baseline idea. If you just want kind of the, the thesis for the message today, it's this, that, that Jesus lived a lifestyle of discipleship. And that becomes a helpful model for us as we think about being faithful to the call to make disciples. So there are these, these five contexts. You can see this funnel that kind of just works down... It starts out at this most broad level and works its way down to a more uh, intimate, one-on-one uh, context, the divine context with God. I want to talk about this together in our time this morning, okay? So out there at that top level, the broadest level, it's this public context, Okay. Uh, Jesus moves in this public arena with an eye toward making disciples. So clearly, as we've said, you can read through the scriptures and you see these large crowds coming to Jesus all the time. Uh, In this this book, they kind of designate the public arena with a a football, okay? We're not going to talk about football today, okay? We're just just not, all right? Um, (laughs) It designates this as, you know, like a football, like a large gathering, you know? Uh, it could be, so it's so like a game, a football game. It could be a, a you know, a concert. There's you know, any kind of like large gathering. It's this public arena, okay? And so in Jesus' day, what that looks like is he gathers around. He goes to the Sermon on the Mount. You'll get Matthew chapter 5, okay? And Jesus is preaching this message about the kingdom and, and people are gathered around. It's this large-scale kind of shotgun approach to discipleship. But there is disciple work that's happening there, right? I mean, there's discipleship taking place. There's discipling. There's, you know, some of us walked down an aisle and, and responded to an invitation uh, years ago in a, in a large gathering where the gospel was presented. Some of us are old enough to remember in, in the churches where we grew up, these week-long gospel meetings, before we were so busy, you know, before our schedules were just like jam-packed with things, that people would actually commit to going to church not only on Sunday, but they'd come back Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night, and there'd be this evangelistic kind of, kind of push, and the, the messages would all be focused on the, the presentation of the gospel in a way that, you know, it's just simple, that anybody could understand. And so people would respond to that. You look back in the, the history of our Of Our nation, especially in the the pioneer days, you know, where there wasn't a TV and there wasn't, you know, like wall-to-wall sports or entertainment or anything going on. I think a lot of times people would come to the gospel meetings because there's nothing else going on, you know, and so people would hear the gospel and they would respond to that. It's this public kind of area, and so Jesus operates in that public domain. There's discipleship, there's, there's conversion, at least, that, that gets us in the door on being a disciple. That happens in that large arena. Okay, in that public sort of context. So, so we see Jesus really leaning in on the, in the public arena. So in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, feeding of the 5,000. But there are some limitations to the public context. One of the main limitations of the, the public context when it comes to discipleship is it's like a one-way sort of deal, you know? And we're doing this now, and you guys are really gracious to sit and, you know, and, and listen. I'm communicating, but there's not, there's not a lot of give and take here in, in, in an assembly like this, right? No, it's, it's, it's very much a one-sided thing, so we're trying to, you know, all center maybe around the Word of God. But there's not a lot of dialogue. That's one of the limitations here of the, the, the public arena, the public uh, context. But it's just kind of the top level of the funnel, Okay? you tighten things up a little bit, you go into this next arena, and and this is the social arena. So we go from public now down into this, you know, social setting, and, and Harrington and Absalom say, okay, now we're talking about a, a smaller group. It's still, still a pretty good-sized group. It's usually, you know, 20 to 70 people, and the icon they use there is a, what, what, what is that, like a picnic table? You know, it's, you think of like a, a, a barbecue, you know, you think of a cookout, you think of some sort of, you know, smaller kind of setting where now you move from, you know, sort of the one-sided, maybe uh, monologue a- approach here to uh, a more intimate kind of gathering where there's, maybe, maybe this is not characterized by the, the football, you know, or the, the concert venue where you're not really interacting much with people around you, but now this is a little more intimate, not fully At least in that setting, you're shaking somebody's hand, right? At least in that setting, there's a little bit of of give and take. And so you see Jesus interacting in this arena as well. I think oftentimes his public approach to discipleship is just to kind of get people in the door to then kind of draw them into some of these more intimate settings. So you read about like in Matthew chapter 9, for instance, Jesus goes to the home of Matthew, Levi, same guy, He's a tax collector, and in that setting, in that environment, Jesus uses that, that setting as an opportunity to teach, as an opportunity to disciple. He's focused on drawing people a little closer to the center, a little closer, you know, to, to the kingdom of God. Uh, it's, it's still not as intimate as some of these other relationships that we'll read about, but, but you see that how the intensity kind of increases here. Uh, Luke chapter 10 is a, another good example of this. Jesus has, depending on which translation you're reading, he has 70 or 72 followers here that he sends out. So, again, when we think of the disciples, we tend to think, many of us who grew up in churches, you think of the disciples, how many disciples did Jesus have? Well, the knee-jerk reaction, well, he had 12. And, and you know, he did, <laughs> we'll get to them in a minute, but he also had many more. And so these disciples that you read about in Luke 10, he sends them out. He gives them a job to do. They're to go to all the villages ahead of him, kind of as forerunners. Hey, hey, uh, uh, prepare the way for me, in essence. Instead of, you know, the one who prepared the way for him was John the Baptist. By this time he's, you know, he's in jail, he's dead and gone, so now he sends out these 70, these 72, to kind of prepare the way for him as he goes through all these villages and towns, okay? So in this social context here, Jesus is interacting with a a group that's, that's not quite at the level of the crowd, but it's a, little, it's a little tighter, a little more intimate. But it's nowhere near as intimate as the next level, okay? And that's where you get into this personal context. And this is a much smaller group. It's usually anywhere from, you know, 8 to, to 15 people. And this is where you get to know people in a much deeper way. You really get to hear um, their stories. You get to hear their struggles. You get to hear the things that are really going on in someone's life in a smaller Group, you know, it's funny if you if you're in a in, in kind of that larger gathering, uh, say in in a, in a church assembly, you know, uh, the prayer requests that you get uh, are, are, are directly proportional to the size of the group. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, some of our Bible classes here um, are are larger than the churches a few of us grew up in, you know. And so uh, in Bible class, you know, some people may or may not feel, you know, super comfortable just raising their hand and saying, hey, here's what's going on in, in, in my life. I wish we were there. You know, I, I want you to feel that way because as we just sang, we're, we're family, you know. But you get into a smaller group of like 8 to 15 people, and that's where you're really able to share at a more intimate level. You know, how many really close, good relationships can you maintain at one time? It's, it's hard for most people to maintain more than a dozen or so. I mean, really close relationships where you know just a, you know, a lot about what's going on in that person's life, and you're sharing a lot of, we, we just, we're time-bound, you know? We, we don't have the ability to just share as much as we'd want to, perhaps, with everybody. And many of us, you know, don't want to share with everybody we come in contact with, right? It's a, sounds kind of crazy to some of us. But it's in that small, little, intimate arena. That's where some real discipling work takes place and and for Jesus he had these 12 and these were the 12 who got to spend time with him after class okay these were the 12 who got to have real dialogue with Jesus so Jesus will teach he'll have a parable and and the parable functions Jesus himself says it's like it it says something while still kind of making you work out the meaning on your own, you know. So Jesus is always about that. So then after, after class, the disciples will come up to Jesus and they'll say, okay, Lord, help us. We're, we're really trying to figure out what this means. And so Jesus will unpack some of that a little more fully for them. But these are, these are the guys who, who spend a lot of time with Jesus, okay. They, they walk with him. They share meals with him. You know, just think about it. They, These are the, these are 12, you know, they know whether or not Jesus snores, (laughs) you know, they know Jesus, they know his favorite meals. We don't think about Jesus in those terms sometimes, but he's a human being just like us. So they spend so much time with him. They know him at this really intimate kind of level. And it's demonstrated really beautifully in one of the, one of the passages in John's gospel, John 13, where Jesus takes this, this, this servant kind of posture and, and washes the feet of the disciples just before those events set into motion that ultimately claim his life. It's a really intimate kind of relationship, and and there's a tremendous amount of discipling taking place there in that that context. But then you go down even a little bit lower, so so we're moving down here almost to to the very heart of it, and that's what Harrington and Absalom call transparent relationships, and that's a really small group. Uh, they say, you know, two, three, I, I don't know, you know how many you would, you would identify, but it's a really small group of people. Your closest relationships, so your best friends, your spouse, if you're married, You know maybe it's your children or, or your parents, you know, somebody that, that you know just like really, really well. It's that really small circle. And according to, to, to the data, Harrington and Absalom say that's where the most powerful, the most transformative kind of discipling work takes place. There are a handful of people who will, will value what you have to say almost more than anybody else, okay? And those are the people that you can have the greatest spiritual impact in their lives, uh, we, 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 can follow the example of Jesus and think about, you know, the public you know, domain and, and social kind of tighten it up. But really it's here that we, I think we really need to lean in because there's, there's a handful of people and I, you know, maybe the older you get, the more that kind of expands because, because your family relationships expand. I, I don't know, but, but you've got this, this group for Jesus. It was three. It was Peter, James, and John. And he shares things with those three that he doesn't share with the others. And we look at that and we say, well, that sounds kind of Exclusive. And yeah, I mean, it, it sort of is, you know, because you can't have this kind of transparent relationship with everybody. It's only with a few. And so those three, if you read through the Gospels, they share uh, this moment of, of the transfiguration. You know, they get this behind the scenes look, this advanced preview of, of Jesus in all of his glory. Everybody else doesn't get that. Jesus reveals himself there to them in a way that he doesn't. With anybody else in the garden of gethsemane do you remember the night that that he's betrayed and and jesus knows i mean it's crunch time and so he takes his followers there to the garden and he asks them to pray but then these three he kind of pulls away to like a little further and he asks them to keep watch man it's heartbreaking because he's in agony and he's wrestling so he walks over here and he talks with god and we'll get to that in just a minute kind of the one-on-one with god but he comes back, and you, you, some of you remember this? He finds those three every time doing what? And they're asleep. He's, he's, he's leaning on these guys. Man, I need you in my corner. This is it. And he finds them asleep. But that doesn't negate the fact that those three, those were some relationships that were so intimate, so close, so transparent, they say. That there was tremendous discipleship taking place there. In that relationship, and then the, the last piece of this this is this is one that, that is typically kind of overlooked in a lot of discipleship literature, and it's really unfortunate because at the heart of it all, to be a disciple, it is at, 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 at the end of the day, you know, with all these other relationships, whether we're using those well or not, or leveraging you know those relationships for the sake of the kingdom and all of that, at the end of the day, it gets down to you and your walk with the Lord, right? I mean, this is, this is first base. You know, this is in the concentric rings, if, we, if that were what the model was. Uh, I guess it kind of is. You know, this one is, is kind of at the heart of that, the, the divine, the one-on-one relationship with God. What does Jesus say is the most important commandment? You know, love your neighbor as yourself is really, really important. He puts it way up there. And so as a church, we need to be committed to that, and, and I'm grateful that we are. But the, the only one that trumps that, the only thing that is more important even than loving our neighbor, Jesus says, is this, reserving that space in our heart and our schedule and in our souls to love God more than we love anything else. That's a worship issue, you know? So at the end of the day, that, that discipleship relationship, that one-on-one relationship to God, where we, we are disciples of God, if you want to use that language. You won't find that exact phrase in the Bible, but You understand what I'm saying? Like we're followers of God. We're in the school of the Lord. You know, we're, we're trying to learn from him and take in his wisdom to be filled, as Paul says there in Colossians, to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That doesn't happen in any other context except for you and the Lord. And that is the place of transformation. It is the core of discipleship. And what's beautiful is you see that modeled in, life, in the life and ministry of Jesus. In Luke 4, Luke 5, Luke 6, there are three separate instances where Jesus gets away from everybody. Our context would be, you know, he turns off his phone. He, turns, you know, he, he goes off just like that direction, just walks out away from everybody else so he can spend time in communion with the Father. It says that he goes to lonely places to pray. That challenges me because it is hard to find lonely places. It's hard to find somewhere where there's not noise, where there's not, you know, just a lot of buzz and activity and things going on. It's hard to find space in my schedule. But that is at the heart of the disciple relationship. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and calendar, and focus, (laughs) and all of these things. Um, so you see those contexts in the life of Jesus, the context for uh, discipleship. I want you to think about this now. So how does, how does this play out, you know, for us? Uh, well, as, as a church, you know, the public context, we're, we're, I would like to think we're kind of focusing on discipleship in what we're doing even right now. In a large corporate gathering, in a, in a, in a worship assembly like this, disciples coming together to express love for God and love for one another as we gather around the table, as we reflect on what God has done for us, as we pray and read scripture, and, you know, and, and, and sing, all these things, uh, I'd like to think all of that can focus on the work of, of discipleship, don't you? I mean, I hope that it does, but it's that broad top of the funnel that, again, has those limitations. We need to continue to move into some of these more intimate settings where we can grow together as disciples. So, so you kind of bring that down to the next level. We call it social context here. That may not be the best phrasing for it, but I can't help but think that our Bible classes kind of fit in there. I'm grateful that you're here to worship. I hope you'll continue to feel welcome to do that if you're new, if, if you've been here for a little while, but I would also really encourage you to find a place, a Bible class, where you can land, where you can can grow in your knowledge and understanding. Yes, but it's there's so much more ministry that happens at that level. You know, many of you who've been around here for a long time. You know when there's when there's you know catastrophe when something bad happens, one of the first questions we ask is okay, what what Bible class are they in because that's where we you know people just mobilize around people in their pain and, and, and when they're hurting, some of the things that took place on the Love Your Neighbor Day, they were just simply extensions of the ministry that was already going on in those Bible classes, our Bible class leaders and coordinators and, and the team of people in each of those groups. So, so this is a place, again, where we can grow in our discipleship, we can get to know one another in more intimate sort of settings, but then you kind of bring that down a little bit more into that, that personal level where it's a much, much smaller group, and that's where our community life groups fit in. That's where small groups fit in. That's where men's prayer breakfast fits in, you know? That's where ladies playing bunco fits in, I guess. You'll have to tell me. I've never been, okay? <laughs> that was a joke. Sorry, I, I don't want to come. Um, it's a small group setting, you know, where you get to know each other and you're sharing some things together. I mean, it's so rich. And Doug tells me we have over 40 community life groups right now. We're always looking to add more. So there's, that's that's a powerful connection point. You bring it on down to the bottom one, the divine. and everything we do ought to be focused on that. If that's the greatest command, you know, helping us to express love for the Lord. Okay, so we don't want to lose sight of that. That's what. Move up to that that fourth one though, the transparent level. Okay. This is where I you know I, I struggle a little bit. So, congregationally, what does that look like? It's hard to point to a church program on that one, because we're talking about your closest relationships, right? Uh, there's some things we can do. We can do. You know, I know churches that are doing discipleship groups. I don't, I don't know what that even looks like. I know of churches that are focusing in, really leaning in on, on fortifying marriages at that transparent kind of level. You'll hear some things in, in the months to come from Doug. He'll talk about this grace marriage program uh, that looks like it could fit right there. But, but that's, this, is, this is the place, I think, where if, this, if all of this is, is really going to take that's where all of us are going to have to lean in and think about our relationships and think about the people in that really small sphere and their walk with the Lord and how we can encourage them, how we can help them grow closer or maybe even maybe even there are some of those in our small circle who don't yet know the Lord. I know that's probably a, a burden on your heart, but I think all of that is, is what we're getting at with this discipleship language. Some takeaways here as we, uh, as we wrap, wrap up, okay? Uh, some takeaways from this, this model of um, a discipleship lifestyle, all right? One is this. Uh, it seems pretty evident that discipleship is always relation, relational. Uh, these contexts, every one of them, uh, these contexts are defined by relationships. Uh, the, this core level is where, uh, if you want to put it this way, you're being discipled by God, where you're being, you know, grown by the Lord, where spiritual growth really happens because of your relationship with the Lord, All right. That gets back to what Jesus says is the greatest command, and that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's these other four levels where we're engaged in uh, using our personal relationships to to further the work of disciple-making, where we're seeking to be spiritually formed by the people who who we are looking to, to, to offer discipleship to us, but we're also reaching back to those in our sphere who we can help encourage and mentor and disciple so relational questions become really important here one of the questions that I I kind of live with two of the questions that I'm I'm always trying to answer for myself I submit this to you if it's helpful to you great if not okay but the questions that I try to ask myself repeatedly as we think about being faithful to the Lord's call here is this who am I discipling and by whom am I being discipled you ever you ever tried to answer that it's a little tricky you know because some of us were are not used to to even speaking in that kind of language but I found it to be really helpful so uh, who who am I discipling who are those uh who are those individuals in my life that I'm trying to pour into and make a spiritual difference well you know I can tell you the list starts with the three children that, that the Lord's given us you know uh, I, I, that's I feel like some of the greatest evangelism we will ever do is to pour ourselves into the children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews and the you know the, the, the family whatever the people who we are closest to and then on the other side of the spectrum by whom am I being discipled? that is so great for me to be able to look and and to reflect and think about those men and those women who are pouring themselves into me so discipleship as you look at this in the life of Jesus in the life of the church, throughout Acts and on in the scriptures, discipleship is always, always relational. So let's think about our relationships. Uh, number two, discipleship intensifies in these smaller groups. So again, although the public context can contribute to discipleship, we know this. It's, it's, also, it's also limited. Uh, it can lead to a conversion point, but the majority of, of discipling is done in, in these other kinds of contexts. So again, uh, it's it's not to say that sermons can't contribute to the discipling work. It's just to acknowledge the limitations. We have to do more than just preach about discipleship. You know, Jesus in the Great Commission, he didn't say, go and preach sermons about discipleship. I think that could be helpful. I think sermons can be helpful, you know, but it, it requires us to really think at a deeper level, to think again about our relationships. So if I were to ask you, i would to ask you to, to identify, to name the five most important sermons you've ever heard. Could, could, you, could you do that? <laughs> I'm looking for the five sermons that were the most important, that impacted you the most at a soul level. You know, what do you, what do you got? <laughs> um, whew, that's a, I mean That's a tough one, right? I preach a lot of these, and I don't know what I would say. It's, it's kind of tricky. Um, it's like somebody said, you know, that sermons have their place. Believe me, I, I believe that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do this. You know, I, so I believe they have their place. Somebody said they're, they're kind of like all those meals that your mom made when you were growing up. You might not remember what was on the menu the whole time, but they kept you fed, okay? So sermons have their place. Bible classes have their place. But if I were to ask you to identify the five most important Spiritual influences in your life. That's a different conversation, right? That's where we kind of lean in. We say, okay, now I'm going to tell you about him and her. I'm going to tell you about grandma. I'm going to tell you about a coach that came in my life at the right time. I'm going to tell you, you know, about an elder, an elder's wife. I'm going to tell you about my neighbor. You know, I'm going to tell you, there are all these All these stories are going to come spilling out of us, and these names are going to come spilling out of us that might not mean much to anybody else, but they mean a lot to us. And as we continue to think about those relationships God's given us, and that that transparent level of relationships, my question to you would be like, what what would it take for the people in your sphere to identify you as one of those people? A A lot of people probably already do. But if we we kind of double down our efforts here, I just think that could bring such, that could bear such spiritual fruit with the Lord's help there. So, discipleship is always relational. It intensifies in these smaller groups. And then the last one here discipleship is a lifestyle, it's meant to be lived out across all five of these contexts. It is readily evident as we look to the ministry of Jesus, it is evident that he lived out a discipleship lifestyle across all five of these contexts. So uh, when he gives us the mission here to make disciples in Matthew 28, I think he intends for us to think about the context in our own lives as well. Let's pray together here as we wind down. Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to assemble here I thank you for this, this space and this freedom that we get to exercise. We know that many of our sisters and brothers around the world and even throughout history have not enjoyed that. So, Father, we count that uh, as a privilege and something worthy of our gratitude this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight so that we might be able to Follow the example of Jesus with this discipleship lifestyle. That in every relationship and every context, we would seek to call others to love you, to love their neighbor as themselves, to know your son and to trust him and to follow him. Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see the opportunities that you put in front of us each day, Father. And give us the spiritual resources we need to live a life worthy of the gospel, to be faithful. In the times in which we find ourselves God, and for the ways in which we inevitably fall short of that goal, Lord, thank you for your grace. It empowers us to keep trying. We pray this in the name and the power of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today the invitation of Christ is extended. If you need to respond to what the Lord has done, or if we can be praying for you, if there's anything you need to share with us, I hope that you will come. This word is given in the name of Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord who makes all things new. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's stand together and sing.